Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand. Anyone need a Bible? There's a few hands up here. Okay. Bibles, raise your hands high up. We have some in the middle, some on the side. Very good. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13. Paul, by the Holy Spirit, says, And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak. Knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. And all things are for your sakes that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, that's our heart this morning, that grace having spread through us may cause thanksgiving to abound, Lord, to your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, please be seated. So we left off a couple weeks ago, picking up up where we left off, verse 8. Paul declares, we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. So, uh, what is it that allows Paul, the Apostle Paul, what is it that allows him to be hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed? Perplexed, that means confused but not in despair, struck down, but not destroyed. Well, we read that actually in the previous verse, in verse 6. It says, For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts. Jesus Christ, the light of the world, has taken up residence in your heart if you have been born again by the Spirit of God. And that's the message from the beginning to the end of this letter. And we began in, 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 in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, which says, God has established you in Christ by depositing in you or sealing in you the Holy Spirit. In the last chapter of this letter, uh, Paul says in chapter 13, he, 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 the last thing, he, his sort of closing message, do you not realize that Jesus Christ is in you? So that is what allows you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, to be hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, conf- uh, confused. Remember we talked about that word, clueless about where you're going to go next. That allows you not to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed as the circumstances of your life come upon you and you submit your life to God. 
And so in the midst of whatever it is you're going through, you know, your flesh is crying out, go away, run away, hide, lash out at the people and circumstances around you, drown your sorrows. No, you submit your life to God by the power of the Holy Spirit through Christ who is in you. And something beautiful happens. The life of Jesus Christ is revealed in you and the world around you. Verse 10 says, Always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who, are, who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be revealed in our mortal flesh. So then, death is at work in us, but life is in you. So you may think you're dying as your world seems to be caving in, but as you submit to God, life is revealed to those around you. Life, the life of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.22, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Life, against such, Galatians 5.23 says, there is no law, meaning uh, the end of your faith is not following some code of conduct. It's uh, to reveal the life of Jesus who lives in you. That's the end of your faith. So Paul continues in verse 13 of chapter 4. That's where we began this morning. And since we have the same spirit of faith, According to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore we speak. So all this is about faith. It's about faith in God's word. He says, I believe and therefore I speak. Believing God's word. Skip ahead to verse 7 of the next chapter. For chapter 5 it says, for we walk by faith. And not by sight. So when you're hard pressed on every side. If you live by sight, you will be convinced that you're going to be crushed. And man, this is an every day, every hour, minute by minute thing. If you're perplexed and confused, clueless about where you're going to be next or go next. Or how you can get out of the situation you're in. If you live by faith. You will have every, every reason to put aside what you're seeing by sight, which is you're going to despair of life, and you'll be able to move on. If you're struck down, if you're living by sight, you'll be convinced there's no hope of ever recovering. And so, brothers and sisters, it's all about faith in God's Word for you. Faith, it says. Paul says, since we have the same spirit of faith, in verse 13, since we have this faith, in other words, because of the faith we have in Christ and the promises of God in the midst of our hardship, we speak. It says, we believe, therefore we speak. That what has been told to us by God is is really going to happen. So it may look like I'm going to be crushed, but that's not what God's Word says. It may look like... Man, there's no way out of this. But that's not what God's Word uh, says. I, I may look like I'm forsaken and destroyed. 
but God's word says no. I'm I'm not going to I'm going to believe it and I'm going to speak it. And so that's why he says in verse 13, so important in the life of believer, I believe and therefore I speak. By the way there it says Paul says as it is written or according to what is written, I believe and therefore I spoke. So he's quoting there from the Old Testament. Where is he quoting? Psalm 116. Turn back with me to Psalm 116. Right about in the very center of the Bible. Psalm 116. So I'm a psalm junkie. And this is one of my favorite psalms. I love this psalm. Do yourself a huge favor. Just dive into this psalm this week and just bathe in it. How's that for a word of encouragement? Just bathe in this psalm this week. Verse 7 says this. Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Again, verse 7. Return to your rest, O my soul. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Okay, now listen. This is a person here who is being tormented with anxiety. Hard-pressed on every side. By the way, there was a, uh, some study that came out a few years back. 90% of an American's thought life, listen to this, is either worrying about the past or worrying about the future. How's that for the happy life? God has a better plan for us. And here, here in verse 7, this, the, the psalmist here, he's anxious. His heart is gripped by anxiety. Have you ever been there? Are you there this morning? And he says, verse 7, Return to your rest, O my soul. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with uh, you. And so, uh, so this person, is having, he's having a conversation with his soul. Have you ever done that? So listen, dude, soul. Return to your rest. <laughs> you know, uh, and there was this, uh, 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 and, and you know, God has something so much better than 90% of our thought life. worrying about the past or the future. Now, some of you are really tripping out, maybe saying, wow, the other 10%, I wonder what, they think, what I think then. <laughs> you know, it's 100% of your time. But, but, so this is, this is for, for, for you, this message here. Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt uh, bountifully uh, with uh, you. Listen, is Satan robbing you this morning of your joy by stirring up anxiety in your heart? God says, return to your rest. Read verse 6, right before verse 7 of Psalm 116. It says, the Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low, and he, what? He saved me. Return to your rest. God has saved you. God has dealt bountifully with you. Do you think God saved you only to forsake you? Do you think God saved you only to abandon you to all the, 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 the affliction of life? No. Listen, you're a child of God. You are His. 
his child. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5 says, You have been adopted as sons, as daughters by Jesus Christ. God. Galatians chapter 4 verse 7, it says, You are no longer a slave but a son, a daughter. And if a son, it says an heir, meaning you have an inheritance as a child of God through Christ. I can't imagine bringing my child into the world and then abandoning him, abandoning her. How much less so than God who's holy. And it says that you're his treasured possession. So verse 7 of Psalm 116, Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. God will never leave you or forsake you. But let's remember what we're talking about back in 2 Corinthians 4. Paul says, I believed and therefore I spoke. Where does that turn up in this psalm? Well, verse 8 says, You have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from falling, and I will walk before the the Lord in the land of the living. I believed and therefore I spoke. This is what Paul is quoting from. And 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I believe and therefore I spoke. So here's a guy. He's been in this great affliction, this incredible affliction. And you know, I don't know what affliction you're in uh, uh, this morning. Maybe you're not. Maybe, maybe you're riding sort of on the top of the wave of life. But I'm telling you, uh, before long, uh, the Bible says we're either coming out of a trial or in a trial or going into one. And that's, how th- th- that's the, the life that God has chosen for us to, 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 so that his, his grace, His life will be revealed in us. I was talking to, to uh, Pastor Greg last night. He was just talking about, for some reason, this year in school, in the Boston Public School that he's in, just, man, kids are brutal. And, you know, I don't know if you've had to spend like an entire day with, with you know, just even if there's four or five kids, you know, who are just out of control. I mean, by the end of the day, it's like, talk about hard pressed on every side. It's like, ah, you know, this type of deal. And, and, and so, um, uh, uh, but, but so this psalmist here is in a great affliction. What was it back in verse 3? There's actually a description of this affliction that he was in. I don't know. Maybe he was a school teacher because it says, The pain of death surrounded me. And the pains of Sheol, meaning Hades, laid hold of me, the place of the dead. I found trouble and sorrow. It says, Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I implore you. Deliver my soul. So he's in this terrible fix. But what happened? He believed. He didn't take off. He didn't drown his sorrows. He didn't like hide out in a cave. He believed. And what did he do? He spoke. What did he say? Oh, Lord, deliver me. I, I implore you, Lord. In other words, Lord, I, I'm going to give you uh, your promises, a chance in my life. Uh, I, you say in your word that you'll never leave me or, or, or forsake you. I'm going to hold you to that, Lord. As it says in verse 3, the pains of death surround me. I'm going to, I'm going to hold you to your, your word, Lord. Now, Lord, I, I believe it. Now, deliver me. So Jesus says that even a mustard seed of faith 
is all it takes to move a mountain in front of you. So, so brothers and sisters, listen, you must speak your faith. And you must speak it into your circumstances. At some point in your life, if you have not already done so, you're going to have to start speaking what you believe. Okay, Lord, I'm not going to run away from this trial. This time I'm not going to respond in the flesh. You say in your word, Lord, uh, uh, that, that um, uh, faith is a gift from you. I'm just going to put that mustard seed of faith to get through this. I need your grace. I need your comfort. I need your wisdom. Lord, you've got to do something here. You've got to move this, Lord. You've got to move this burden, this mountain. Because let me tell you, there's a cheap, easy believism. A powerless kind of faith that is so prevalent in the body of Christ today. You know, I I do believe this stuff. Just don't ask me to live it. Just don't ask me to declare it. And we get away with it in this country because we get all this other stuff. These man-made pillars holding us up. At some point. You're going to have to start speaking what you believe. You know, I, I, I call it a hip pocket faith. It's not in the heart, it's in the hip pocket. And when faith lives in your hip pocket, you spend most of the time sitting on it where no one's going to see it, where it's going to get worn out, where it's going to get hardened, where it's going to be unused. And even when you're standing, and then there's the opportunity to, to pull it out, it's not going to come out. You can just pull it out, but you don't. It's there, it's comfortable, it's in your hip pocket. But faith, the Bible says, is a heart thing. It's not a hip pocket thing. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, for it is with the heart that one believes unto righteousness, it is with the mouth that one confesses unto salvation. So out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks in your faith. If you've been saved, if God has saved you, has been, what are we reading? Second uh, Corinthians chapter 1. It's been sealed in your heart. It's been embedded in your heart. And if your faith is real, listen. If it's embedded there, listen. Uh, you must start speaking it. Paul says, I believe, therefore I speak. A faith not, not worth speaking about, not worth sharing about, is not worth having. But listen, here's what's most important. God, your Father, wants you to speak what you believe, even if it's just a mustard seed. He wants you. To me, one of the most wonderful, powerful scenes in the entire Bible, Mark chapter 10. Jesus has just a few days to live. He's coming towards Jerusalem. He's got the whole world literally on his shoulders. He, he, but the Bible says he, he's walking resolutely right towards Jerusalem. He knows full well what's going to happen. In fact, he's telling his d- disciples that he's going to be handed over to the Gentiles, mocked, ridiculed, scourged, crucified. And he's going towards Jerusalem, 
And on his way uh, there, it says in Mark chapter 10, there was a blind man by the road by the name of Bartimaeus begging. And when someone told him that Jesus was coming, he started crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And remember what happened in, in, in Mark 10, 48? It says that people around him were like, hey, man, this guy's got enough on his mind. Be quiet. Don't bother him. And it says that even made him cry out louder. He said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And at that point, it says that Jesus stood still. It's a pretty amazing thing. It's a whole other sermon. With everything on his mind, he's standing still for one person. But uh, he says, standing still. And and Bartimaeus comes to him. And uh, Jesus uh, said to him, he says to him in Mark 10, 49, says, so what do you want me to do for you? Now, why would Jesus do that? Why does Jesus do that? I mean, we've all seen someone who's blind. It's obvious. Jesus knew that he was blind. And of course, Jesus is God. He knew what Bartimaeus wanted. So why is he asked? To humiliate him? No. Jesus knows, God knows, there's something powerful, something healing that happens to us when we speak what we believe, when we speak out and declare our faith, when we're willing to let go of our stubbornness, our self-sufficiency, our resistance to reaching out to Him, and and we simply uh, ask, God, I I need You. And here's why, Lord. I'm weak. I'm blind. I'm clueless. I'm stupid. And, And I got nothing else but You, Lord. And You speak Your faith. And listen, there's such a release that happens in your life and empowering a freedom like chains being thrown off. And so Jesus asked Bartimaeus, an obviously blind beggar, so what is it that you want? Bartimaeus says, I want to see. And Jesus said, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And it says, immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. He believed, he spoke, and things began to happen. There's something so powerful that happens when you do that. 2 Corinthians 4.13, Paul says, As is written, we believe, therefore we spoke. Even so, we believe and therefore we speak. And let me tell you, you know, there's also here a, a lesson about sharing your faith. Again, another sermon for another day. But if you keep your faith silent, you will find your faith and your joy start shriveling up. If you're here this morning and sort of discouraged and depressed in your faith, I have a question for you. When's the last time you told someone about Jesus? And listen, when I say that, believe me, I'm speaking to my own heart because I fail so often in this regard. (laughs) But there's power and grace for you and me to just go out and, 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 and share it as we should. You know, by the way, if you're interested in all of this, sharing your faith, you notice it's springtime out there. Groundhog has come out. Did the groundhog come out? What's up with the groundhog? Is he already out? Doesn't that happen in February? (laughs) 
So the, the sun is uh, uh, out, the, getting warmer, the, the trees are bu budding, and the birds are tweeting, and Guillermo and company are going out on Saturday nights. And so uh, if, if you're interested, the information is in the bulletin. So you believe, and therefore you speak. There's something, such a release every time I've gone out street witnessing my whole life. There's just such a joy. Of course, before it, you're dying to go hide somewhere. <laughs> no, not me, Lord. But when we just share our faith, and that's how we get trained up, by the way, so we can go into our work and to, with our family and stuff like that. And, uh, but anyway, uh, there's no better comfort, no better strength uh, um, that we have, just that release uh, when we share uh, and speak our faith. Paul says, uh, verse 13, I believed and therefore speak. We also believe and therefore speak. Uh, verse 14, what is he speaking? saying, knowing that he, God, who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. Let me tell you, there's no better comfort, uh, no uh, better strength, no better source of joy for you and your trials than what the hope of heaven. The hope of heaven. Again, he's in this incredible trial. And what is he saying? Verse 14. In the midst of the uh, trial, he's speaking what he believes. Verse 14, what is he speaking? Knowing that he who, raised, he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. What a source of strength that is when, uh, when you are hard-pressed on every side, when you're perplexed, when you're struck down. What a, what a, what a strength it is, the hope of heaven. You know, I don't know about how many times that um, my wife Stephanie and I will be crawling into, the, into our bed at the end of the day. And you know, it's always, by the way, two hours later than Stephanie would like. Uh, and so we're, we're always crawling in. And I don't know how many times there's like nothing left in us. And we're just crawling in. And our last words are like, Lord, now, come now, Lord, please. <laughs> and there's such a comfort in that. The hope of heaven. It is just going to be so awesome. So again, when, when, when Paul was hard-pressed, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, this is what he spoke by faith. God, that God who, who raised uh, Jesus from the dead would raise him also. And, he, and here's where it gets really good. It says, after he has raised us up, what does it say? He presents us. It says there in verse 14. Presents us to whom? To Jesus. Some manuscripts actually add those two words. To Jesus. We're presented to Jesus. And I believe that's a helpful addition, and it's an accurate one. But listen, when Jesus comes back, or you die, whichever is first, you will be presented to him, to Jesus. You'll be presented to Jesus. Well, think about that. You know, how often, last week, when we were talking about Jesus on the cross, and he's saying to the thief on, uh, on his side, tonight... Today, you will be with me in paradise. How, how often did you, ju did you just want to be there? He lives inside of us. How, how, how often, though, do we want our sight to become reality? Well, let me tell you, it'll happen. Verse 14 here says that you're going to be presented uh, to Jesus. And, and by the way, whenever it's interesting here because, you know, to be presented to, to Jesus, and notice how it says that apparently someone is going to present you. Someone's going to present you to Jesus. That's what this verse is saying. Now, I don't know 
Is that an angel? Is it a host of angels? Is it someone who has preceded you to heaven? Someone's going to present you to the Lord, it says. And I don't know about you, but if you've been born again, the thought of being presented to your Lord, to my Lord, to our Lord, what an incredible thought. Well done, good and faithful servant. Wow. What a comforting thought. So then that's what Paul says. We believe, therefore we speak. That's what he's speaking in the midst of his, of his trial there. Then verse 15, it says, For all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. So as Paul in his affliction resists the temptation to flesh out and run away, he submits to God and what happens? The life of God, mainly grace, is revealed through Paul to them. The grace revealed through the trial will spread to whom? It says to, it will spread to who? Many. Many. Causing thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God, it says. Grace spreads to who? How many? Many. Not a few, many. You know, grace does that. Grace does that. It spreads. You know, in 1 Corinthians, we talked a lot about how sin does that. That's why I love 2 Corinthians. It's been my favorite book of the Bible ever since I was saved. Because it's such a contrast to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, the whole deal was how sin spreads. Remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there was someone living in open sexual immorality, and, and, and Paul says, look, you, you need to, to, to expel uh, this person. And why, why does he give for the reason for that? Just because a little leaven will spread throughout the whole dough. Just a little leaven. A little sin. Sin doesn't keep to itself. If you're here this morning and you get some sin, compartmentalized, thinking no one will ever see it, it's not going to stay it to itself. Sin doesn't do that. But you know something? Neither will grace. Neither will grace. Grace will have the same effect. The grace that comes from you as you submit your life to Christ will spread like leaven, like a little uh, bit of yeast in the bread, in the, bread, in, in the dough, which uh, uh, causes the whole bread to rise. And we think of leaven, we also always think of sin, but the Bible also has a flip side. It also represents grace. Matthew thirteen thirty three. the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leaven, meaning until the bread ro- rose and had, had fully expanded. That's what happens as you grace the church with your life, as you grace your family, your husband, your wife, your children, uh, your co-workers, your people in your dorm. It says that grace will spread to many. It will spread. It will go from one to the... In the context of the church, it goes from one to another to the... Such a, there's an exponential effect there. And, and it says in verse 15, what will happen? Thanksgiving will abound to the glory of God. Jesus said the world will know you by what? By your love for one another, by the grace that you extend towards one another. What is grace? It's giving someone that which they don't deserve. It started at the cross where we got salvation, which we didn't deserve. It continues as we, as we just serve others and, and treat them in a way that they do not deserve. Listen, if, if we insist on treating everyone as they deserve, it's just going to be a mob scene in the church like it is out in the world. 
when we grace people, we do the same thing that the Lord has done for us and does for us every minute of every, every day. We grace them. We treat them like uh, they don't deserve. So even as we're going through the affliction, Paul says, and he's submitting to God, the grace is being exposed, and, it, and, and you're gracing those around you, and the grace will overflow to many, resulting in what? In thanksgiving to God. And people will look at the church and they'll say, there's something about this place. Grace is everywhere. The love, the joy, the kindness, the peace, the, 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 the self-control. And I just thank God for this place. That's what it's saying in verse 15. Thanksgiving, it says, will abound. All because, why? Because you're being obedient to God in your trial, trial rather than fletching out, rather than becoming bitter, rather than becoming frustrated, rather than drowning in self-pity. Rather than shaking your fist at God, because why, you know, why this God? You're just submitting to Him, to Christ in you, the hope of glory. And as a result, grace is abounding and going and spreading to the many, to the thanksgiving of God. Verse 16 continues, it says, Therefore, whenever you see that word, therefore, you ask, what is it therefore? Well, everything that preceded. Therefore, verse 16 we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. What a wonderful verse there. You know, the outward man perishing day by day. You know, funny thing happens after you turn 40 years old. Stop to become real aware that your outward man, your outward woman, is perishing. You know, you 20 or 30 somethings, and I know there's a lot of you in this room, you just wait, okay? Uh, you, you know, you'll start looking in the mirror and you realize, wow, you know, I'm not getting any younger. In fact, every year that passes by, it seems like you grow three years older, you know. You know that, 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 that question that people ask you on your 20th birthday? Or on your 30th birthday? So, what does it feel like to be 20? What does it feel like to be 30? Well, it doesn't feel any different at all. So, if they ask you that when you turn 40, what's it like to be 40? Well, I feel like I'm 50. You have any more questions? <laughs> Man, you're getting grumpy, you know, in your middle age. But, um, but, but uh, anyway, seriously, though, as a born-again Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you should have a total peace with the outward man perishing. You know why? 2 Corinthians 4.17, because even though your outward man is perishing, the inward man is being renewed day by day. And the, and the beautiful thing, by the way, of growing, growing older in the Lord is, is you know that it's happening. You know that it's going on. With every white hair that appears and every wrinkle and, and sunspot or whatever, that the world is working like crazy to, to take off, you know that the inward man is being renewed day by day. I always think of Hebrews 2.15, which says this, Jesus Christ releases those who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. You know, brothers and sisters, if there's any area where we can be the light of the world, 
And remember, that's where we started with this message. Verse 6, God shined his light in our heart. We're the light of the world. If there's any area we can be the light of the world, it's this one. Listen, this country is an absolute bondage to the fear of death. This country is in absolute bondage to the fear that comes along with the awareness that the outer man, the outer woman is perishing. 13.2 billion dollars last year on cosmetic procedures to look younger, fresher, and trimmer. Something like 10 million procedures on the face alone. That's a lot of scalpels and a lot of scars, let me tell you. And you know what that reveals, don't you? It, it reveals a profound emptiness in the soul. You know, even secular psychiatrists are alarmed at the obsession that so many in this country have for turning back the clock and, and the, the vanity of it, the futility of it. But again, listen, if you're opening up the Word of God every day, as you should, by the way, and exposing your heart to it, Something really different can happen in your heart, and I really mean this. I've already said it. With every new wrinkle, every new white hair will remind you. Actually, every new, every new white hair, every new wrinkle will be a source of joy as you're reminded that you are getting closer to the time when you are presented to the Lord and that you're being renewed Revelation uh, uh, says he that Jesus will wipe the tears from your eyes. There will be joy, uh, the, uh, tears of joy. You know, some, why are there tears? Tears of joy as you experience for the ter- uh, first time what it's like to be done with sin. What it's like to be done with the frailties of the body, freed from the impurity of the world, and, and utterly, totally in this wonderful, pure, holy presence of the Lord. No hindrance from the flesh, no hindrance from Satan, no hindrance from the world. So verse 16 says, even though the outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being revealed, is being renewed day by day. Now the Greek word there is interesting. It doesn't appear in any other Greek writings. It's the word anakeno. It's the opposite of perishing. Anakeno. It's a word. It doesn't appear anywhere else in, in, in Greek writing. It's the opposite of perishing. You know why it doesn't appear anywhere else? Romans 8 says the entire creation is groaning because of the fall. It's, it's sort of in a degenerative process. And even the second law of thermodynamics, please stay with me here, even though I bring that up, uh, uh, substantiates this, that everything is moving towards disorder. Evolutionists have a hard time with that. Everything, they call it entropy. Everything is in this slow, degenerative process. There is no analogy with, with, in the world for what is taking place in your life. If you're a born-again Christian, you're being renewed. The word there means it's the opposite of, of, sort of, 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 corrupt, of corrupting. 
it is going to a, a more beautiful and beautiful uh, place. So as the world is uh, 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 freaking out because as much as it tries, it can do nothing to prevent the outer man, the outer woman from perishing, you as you grow in your devotion and dependence on, uh, on Jesus Christ, uh, the beauty of your inner man is growing year after year after year as you follow the Lord. That precisely the opposite thing that is happening uh, in the world is happening right inside of you. You know, i got to tell you, one of the most wonderful things, one of the most encouraging things for me is hanging out with a man or woman that are covered with white hair. Who cares? they got wrinkles. Who cares? Because you know why? They have a sweetness in their life. from following the Lord for 30, 40, 50 years, they have something you cannot find anywhere. It's impossible to replicate anywhere in the world. They have something the world knows nothing about. Their inward man, their inward woman has been renewing, growing into something more beautiful for 30 years. And man, you just want to go, oh, can I just hug you, please? You know, uh, you know they're just they're such a, so encouraging. That's what we can look forward to. Rather than freaking out. You know, every time a sunspot appears on our face, oh no, I've got to go see the dermatologist and, you know, slash things, this thing off. What a terrible way to live. We can, Paul says, we can be, just know that though the outward man is perishing, it is but a reminder that the inward man is being renewed day by day. Don't you want to be that man? Don't you want to be that woman? I do. Where's the renewing come from? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus said in John 7, he who believes in me, rivers of water will flow forth from within a, in him. You know, let me close with this. If you're here today and you've never been born again, you need to be. So the Bible says that if you've never asked Jesus in your life, you have no river of water flowing inside of you. You have death at work inside of you. Not only is your outward man perishing, your inner man is perishing. Without Christ in your life, your inner man is perishing, it's dying. Why? Because the Bible says that that's what happens when a human being who was created in the image of God stubbornly and rebelliously uh, lives in opposition to God. Ask Jesus in your life and that living water will flow forth from within you and you'll be renewed day by day. The chapter finishes, verse 17, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment is working for us a far more eternal and exceeding an eternal weight of glory while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. What a promise. What a life that God has prepared for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, that though... The outward man is perishing, and Lord, it's very obvious that it is. That the inward man is being renewed 
day by day, even as we follow you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for that promise. We thank you for the hope of heaven. We thank you for what that renewing is preparing us for, Lord. A time when, Lord, we're not going to be harassed by the world, our flesh, Satan. There's just gonna, it's just going to be, Lord, it's cliche in the world, but it's going to be pure joy, the pure joy of heaven. And Lord, I just pray for every man and woman in here, Lord. That that preoccupation that the world has for things that are seen, Lord, that they put that preoccupation on the shelf. God, help us by your grace not to be infected by that, Lord. Fix our eyes on you. Fix our eyes on what is eternal, Lord. We want to live by faith, Lord, not by sight. We thank you, Lord. We need you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, please rise. We're going to close.